Modern. 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 We're prepping for a voyage. Modern. The force of an old-fashioned equals whiskey mass times bitters acceleration. Why don't you make that a double? Modern Bar Cart. What's shaking, cocktail fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Bar Cart Podcast. I'm your host, Modern Bar Cart CEO, Eric Koslick. Thanks for joining us for another one of our DIY Bar Cart Foundations episodes, where we take a deep dive into the tools, techniques, and ingredients that make great drinks. This time around, we're going to dive into a really fascinating little corner of the cocktail universe and investigate the many faces of milk punch, both historical and contemporary. If you're anything like me, you like experimenting on your friends and families during the holidays. As a home bartender, having a captive audience can sometimes be a rare treat. I mean, when else can you get multiple reactions to your mixological experiments? So I thought it being the holidays, I might use this episode as an excuse to give you another little DIY project to help stretch your legs and develop a few new skills to add to your cocktail toolkit. We're going to begin by looking at the origins of Milk Punch, then trace this delicious drink through the centuries in both its clarified and unclarified forms. We'll talk about that a little bit later. This investigation is going to involve batching, which is a topic that's near and dear to my heart, as well as the chemistry behind clarification, which means we'll probably have to take a quick pit stop at Liquid Intelligence by Dave Arnold. If you haven't got that book and you're getting into some of the more technical cocktail experiments, I highly recommend it. Two quick things before we jump in. If you like this little mashup of history and chemistry and DIY cocktail project, you'll also probably like our episode on fat-washed spirits back in episode 71. So if you haven't already, head over there and check that out after you listen to this episode. Also, we cover a bunch of different milk punch recipes in this episode, so instead of our usual featured cocktail, we're just going to begin by jumping into our time machine here and taking a trip back to medieval Ireland, where the story of milk punch begins. Prior to the 9th century, Ireland was largely left alone in the early medieval world. The Romans never got there, and with the exception of some attempted evangelization by the Catholic Church, the English, Welsh, and Scottish largely left the Gaelic inhabitants of the Emerald Isle alone. This changed when the Vikings showed up and caused trouble from around 800 to 1000 AD, and then... After a brief period of stability, the Normans showed up and did the same thing from around 1150 to 1350 AD. Remember, the Normans were the folks who crossed the English Channel and invaded England in 1066 at the Battle of Hastings. William the Conqueror and all that jazz, depicted famously in the Bayou Tapestry. Well, after about a century of having invaded England, they must have gotten bored again because, you know, they turned around and did the same thing to Ireland. The only slight difference was that the Normans technically got permission to invade Ireland in the form of something called a papal bull, which is basically when the Pope gives a public statement endorsing some person, property, or action on behalf of the Catholic Church. 
Well, in 1155, Pope Adrian IV, the only English pope, issued a papal bull calling for the invasion of Ireland on the grounds that the Christian missionaries and monks already in place on the island might not have been doing such a great job, at least in Pope Adrian IV's opinion. They might have been slightly abusing their power a bit, and maybe this is because they were a little too busy playing with the art and science of distillation, which had made its way to the island from the Mediterranean around the year 1000. Now, let me pause here and explain exactly why I'm giving you a lesson in early Irish history. The reason is because the first proto-milk punch is a Gaelic beverage called Skeltine, and every blog article on the internet is pretty comfortable identifying this as the precursor to milk punch, and then vaguely stating that it had been consumed since, quote, the medieval times or the medieval age. The ingredients for Skeltine listed on these blog posts usually include Irish whiskey, milk or cream, butter, and flavoring ingredients like herbs and spices. And almost always, there's the recommendation that Skeltine be topped with fresh grated nutmeg. As I was looking at all these recipes and all the duplicate content copy-pasted from the same Wikipedia article, the hair on the back of my neck started to stand up. Something was off, or at least something was being parroted around that didn't quite make sense. And that's why we're in our little time machine right now looking at the very earliest days of Irish distilling, which came to the island by way of Christian missionaries, by way of the Mediterranean, by way of the Arabs who invented distillation as we now know it. If Skeltine was truly the first type of milk punch, and if it was truly consumed during the Middle Ages, one distinction I'd like to make abundantly clear is that it probably was made using aqua vitae, which is a completely unaged distilled spirit that entered the written record for the first time in 1405. But we can assume it was being drunk for quite some time before that, before it entered the official written record. The second point I'll make about Irish whiskey in these Google blog scale teen recipes is that we generally expect such a spirit to be aged in charred oak barrels, which is a practice that didn't take place in any controlled or widespread manner until well after the Middle Ages. We don't know when, but many suspect that the French were the first to do it, which then likely spread to Scotland right, from brandy and cognac to scotch, and finally to Ireland and the United States. So, if you're like me, get curious about Skeltine, you go on Google and you look at all these recipes that claim Irish whiskey, well, they may be more palatable than the original concoctions, but they're definitely not authentic. So, after I dove down that rabbit hole, I was also eager to dispatch with the nutmeg and take those copy and paste cocktail bloggers down yet another peg. But actually, what I found might surprise you. See, I was under the impression that nutmeg was only commercially available in Europe once commercial trade routes to the spice islands in the Pacific became logistically viable via sea during the Age of Discovery. But I was wrong. 
Apparently, nutmeg had been finding its way to Europe as early as Roman times, and it got a really nice nudge in both popularity and price when it was purported to help ward off the plague. So, on our quest to identify the most authentic version of Skeltine, nutmeg gets to stay, but also let's acknowledge that it was probably only available to the wealthy ruling elite in Ireland, so... Most people were probably drinking their scale teen sans nutmeg. One other noteworthy phenomenon that occurred during the Norman invasion period in Ireland was that the Normans took control of cities and fertile farmland, pushing the Gaelic natives into the country hinterlands, where they survived mostly as subsistence farmers. As a result, when the bubonic plague reached Ireland in 1348, the Normans suffered great losses in cities where the population density was much higher, while the native Gaels had a bit more luck out in the countryside where they were more isolated. This isolation and distrust of foreign entities also sets up the origins of the Irish moonshining tradition, where small operators would run stills out in the rural parts of Ireland, skirting taxes and posed by outside kings. What came out of these little pots eventually came to be known as puccine, which is the true unaged precursor of today's Irish whiskey. Historically speaking, if you were to put a gun to my head and ask me how to recreate an authentic and delicious skeltine recipe today, here's what I'd tell you to do. In a saucepan on medium-low heat, combine 16 ounces or two cups of whole milk, two tablespoons of honey, two pats of Irish butter, one or two cinnamon sticks, a couple whole baking spices that you may have lying around, maybe one or two cloves, a couple allspice berries, etc., etc. And then finally, four ounces or a half cup of puccine, which isn't super easy to find in the US market, but if you know where to look, it is around. Keep in mind here that you wanna get all your non-alcoholic ingredients in this recipe heated up to just barely simmering before you add the booze and then immediately cut the heat, discard the whole spices, stir in the puccine, and serve in mugs with grated nutmeg. See, if you add the liquor while the mixture is still on simmer, a decent amount of that alcohol is gonna boil off. And nobody wants that. So, now that we know where milk punch comes from, and what it was likely made from in its earliest form, let's jump ahead to when it became one of the most popular beverages in England and beyond. According to most popular sources, the first published recipe for clarified or British milk punch appeared in a 1711 cookbook by Mary Rocket, and the drink was largely popularized by English playwright Afra Ben. Two primary changes took place in the development of milk punch around this time. One is that citrus became a component. And if you've ever heard me talk about the importance of global trade routes for the development of beverages like punch, this is very much in that same conversation. Milk punch and punch are kind of in the same sphere when it comes to early proto-cocktails. The second noteworthy change that happened to milk punch in particular, is that people started 
bottling milk punch in larger quantities to be stored in shelf-stable conditions. And this is largely due to the effect that citrus has on the drink. So when citrus arrives, suddenly we've got new options for how we bottle, share, and consume these beverages. When you put an acid like citrus juice into milk, the pH of the overall solution is lowered and the milk proteins begin to denature or unwind. The particular protein in question here is one called casein, and when you start to see little chunks or globs in a curdled dairy substance, those are just groups of casein proteins that have become unraveled and then started to bind to one another. The cool thing about clarified milk punch is that it checks most, if not all, of the boxes required for something to be considered shelf-stable if stored in a sealed container. And remember, today we have higher sanitation standards than they did back in the 1700s, but I'd still say that traditional English milk punch holds its own pretty well. Let's break it down. First, we've got the presence of citric acid in the form of lemon or lime juice, which is used as a food and drink stabilizer to this day. So acidification, check. Then we've got a substantial amount of alcohol, which inhibits the growth of bacteria and mold. Double check. Then we've got the elimination of solids, to which contaminants like the aforementioned mold or bacteria can bind and flourish. And what I mean by that is that the curds I described a moment ago that get strained out of the solution those solids and getting them out of the end solution helps to lengthen that shelf life and overall stabilize the substance. So check number three. And then finally, we've got the fact that these ingredients are combined when they're hot. Now, milk punch doesn't technically fit the bill for pasteurization based on the methods described in these traditional recipes. So it doesn't get a full check on the hot bottling pasteurization, but we'll give it a partial one. A for effort, if not for results. Now that we understand the broad strokes of what it takes to make a clarified milk punch, let's get into the actual ingredients and break down the process step by step so that you can do this at home. And for this, I'm actually gonna use a recipe popularized by our very own Benjamin Franklin, found in a letter he once wrote to the governor of Massachusetts. Franklin writes, quote, Take six quarts of brandy and the rinds of 44 lemons paired very thin. Steep the rinds in the brandy 24 hours, then strain it off. Put to it four quarts of water, four large nutmegs grated, two quarts of lemon juice, two pounds of double refined sugar. When the sugar is dissolved, boil three quarts of milk and put to the rest hot as you take it off the fire and stir it about. Let it stand two hours, then run it through a jelly bag till it is clear, then bottle it off. End quote. Now, that's a very dense, but also very precise recipe described in Franklin's letter. But I'll do you the favor of converting it to measurements that are a bit easier to follow in today's world. So I recreated this, and here's what I used. One 25-ounce bottle of cognac, or 750 mLs, one half whole nutmeg grated, or if you have pre-ground nutmeg, you can just use half a teaspoon. The peels of eight lemons, 16 ounces of water, eight ounces of lemon juice, 12 ounces of whole milk, 
and three quarters of a cup of sugar. The sugar is probably the hardest unit to convert here based on the traditional recipe because the type of sugar being used back in Ben Franklin's time was a lot different than the granulated Domino's-esque sugar that we use today. But if you match a little less than a cup of sugar to every bottle of spirits you use in this scalable recipe, that should put you in pretty good shape. Another way to think about this would be to make sure that you're essentially adding quantities of water and sugar that would roughly amount to a simple syrup. We're talking ballpark here. It doesn't have to be perfect. Now for the methods. And here I tried to take some practical, although perhaps not Instagram ready photos of what this looks like when you're in a kitchen getting your hands dirty. So head on over to the show notes page over at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast if you'd like to check those out and, and see if what you're creating looks anything like what I made. First thing I did was peel those eight lemons and let them steep in the bottle of brandy overnight. Of course, I transferred this into a larger wide mouth mason jar to make it easy on myself. Next, after the 24 hours had elapsed, I got out two saucepans, a big one and a small one. In the small saucepan, I placed my whole milk on medium heat. In the other larger one, I combined my sugar, water, brandy, and lemon juice stirring with a whisk until the sugar was dissolved. So when the milk gets up to a boil at this point, you pour that into your larger saucepan with the rest of the ingredients. You give it a gentle stir so that it's well integrated and then let it sit for an hour or two so that the curds can form. When you return to your milk punch, now it's time to give it your first kind of initial run through a strainer of some sort. And whenever I'm trying to filter solids out of a solution, I like to start big. Uh, kind of go for a broad stroke first, get all the big stuff out, and then work my way down to finer and finer meshes or strainers from there. Usually I start with cheesecloth, which is what I did here. And then I escalate to a nut milk bag which is similar to the jelly bag that Franklin calls for in his recipe. And these are really easy and inexpensive to pick up on amazon.com. Once you've filtered out the large curds, you can put your solution into a pitcher and let it sit in the fridge overnight. This is when more solids are gonna settle to the bottom of the container. And the best move here is to pour the clear solution off the top into your final bottle and at this point, you can feel free to also put it through a much finer mesh filter if you have access to one. In the end, if all has gone well, you should have a product that is mostly clear and lacking a good deal of its original color, but that still tastes smooth, full-bodied, and well-balanced. This is the allure of a clarified milk punch, the creamy texture of dairy with the uncanny and aesthetically pleasing condition of being clear in the glass, which opens up a whole array of possibilities when it comes to presentation and service. Add to this the fact that Milk Punch is fairly crushable and you've got a large format cocktail for the holidays that should help to smooth over some of those awkward or less fun family interactions we sometimes dread. One final take on Milk Punch I'd like to cover before we wrap up this episode is the New Orleans style, which is also a staple around the holidays, but which doesn't take on the added work of clarification. And if you hadn't gathered it from all the steps I was describing above, 
the clarification process does take time, patience, and practice. So if you're looking for an easier version, check out this New Orleans style. A couple things I wanna note. Number one, New Orleans is a warm weather city, so unlike Scalteen, New Orleans style milk punch is served cold. Secondly, zooming way, way, way out here, brandy is a traditional staple in New Orleans due to its substantial French influence. So if you're looking at a New Orleans cocktail recipe, this is just a general recommendation. If you're looking at something from New Orleans that came out of the 19th century and you're wondering about what the original base spirit was, chances are it was brandy. Then, when brandy became scarce during and following the phylloxera blight in the early 1860s, American whiskey either came into augment and offset the cost of brandy or replaced it outright. So, an example of a New Orleans cocktail that was originally brandy-based completely is the Sazerac, which now calls exclusively for rye whiskey. And an example of a cocktail that sort of celebrates more of a fusion of the two along with other international influences is the Vucare. That's just a little point of fact for you New Orleans cocktail enthusiasts out there. Now, the New Orleans-style milk punch is definitely more of a cocktail than a punch in that it calls for individual servings and preparation, right? It's not batched in a very large format. But it does contain all the wonderful aspects of milk punch, the creaminess, the sweetness, and the dark spice notes. According to imbibe.com, to make New Orleans-style milk punch, you'll need two ounces of whole milk, two ounces of cream or half and half, one and a half ounces or two ounces of brandy, and one ounce of simple syrup. And you combine all these ingredients in a cocktail shaker with ice, give it a good shake, strain into a coupe glass, or enjoy on the rocks. It's totally up to you and what glassware and aesthetic serving preferences you have. And maybe as a last recommendation here, think about adding a few dashes of our embitterment chocolate bitters to really pull out the richness and those chocolatey notes that are lurking in the background of the brandy. No pressure, just a little recommendation. That about wraps up this investigation into the history, science, and festive applications of Milk Punch. Please feel free to hit us up with your Milk Punch-related questions by sending an email to podcast at modernbarcart.com and also uh, definitely tag us at Modern Barcart on Facebook and Instagram to show off your Milk Punch experiments. Show us those curds, people. We'll link to all this and more in the show notes page for this episode over at modernbarcart.com forward slash podcast. So head on over there to review all the resources and photos we have to share. Until next time, I'm Modern Barcart CEO, Eric Koslick. I want to wish you a happy Thanksgiving in 2018 here. And thank you for traveling and or digesting with Modern Barcart playing in the background. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, there's two big things you can do for us here at Modern Bar Cart. One would be to tell your friends and family if you think they'd enjoy listening to us talk about cocktails. And if they don't download podcasts, they can always stream our episodes on their desktop directly from the show notes page at modernbarcart.com. The other thing you can do to help would be to head on over to iTunes or wherever you download your podcasts and leave us a review. 
Five stars are great, but we're more interested in your feedback. And the beauty is, the more reviews we have, the easier it will be for other folks out there to learn about our show. We're trying to start a cocktail revolution here, and by spreading the word, you're helping us fight the good fight. You can always reach us by emailing podcast at modernbarcart.com if you're looking for cocktail or bartending advice, or if you're a pro who would like to pull up a mic and be interviewed for all to hear. Also, definitely follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Modern Bar Cart for cocktail porn, recipes, and entertaining tips. And keep an eye out for new product releases and special offers, which are happening all the time. We love our listeners, and we really enjoy giving you exclusive discounts and sneak peeks at our latest and greatest cocktail projects. This episode may be over, but for you, the mixological fun and adventures are just beginning. So remember, folks, drink responsibly and experiment boldly. This episode was made possible with editing and production assistance by Samantha Reed, historical inaccuracies by a bunch of stupid cocktail bloggers, and a little bit of milk-curdling magic by yours truly. This has been a Modern Bar Cart production, copyright 2018.